Hello and welcome to the STEM Lens podcast. My name is Simon Carley and today I'm going to be taking you through a couple of papers which we've put into the blog for November 2019. Now we weren't that busy this month because there's a huge amount going on here. So not a huge amount to talk about but just to bring you up to date on a few things. Now we're going to kick off with a blog post that we put out to celebrate the Royal College of Emergency Medicine launching their wellness compendium for emergency medicine. This is some really great work that's been put together by the SWPC committee. We've got a blog and a book together to state what are the things that you can actually do to try and improve well-being within the ED at times of, of great stress, which is what we're under at the moment. So you can go onto our website and you can download the links to the book. And, and we've also put up the link to the St. Emlyn's book on well-being, The Resustentious Guide to Wellbeing, which we published back in 2018. These are the sort of things which I think I just want you to share with people around the ED. And there's some really good graphics in the Archem one, which you can put up on the wall. But just have a little bit of a think and maybe find some champions within your department who can promote and encourage people to look after themselves and look after others. So it's a good one to start with. Tough times at the moment, but lots of good things going on. Then I'm going to talk about a podcast which we put together with Zaf. I think you hopefully heard it already on Reboa. And Zaf's really sort of flying at the moment, isn't he? He's doing some really great conference work and talking about endovascular resuscitation to, to a really high level. I think the, the takeaway with the Reboa system for me, the, the, the stuff that I took away from the podcast, was that this is a selected technique you need to be a little bit cautious about who you use it on and um, that we don't want to give it to people who don't need it clearly that's a bad idea and um, that the americans are now thinking of doing zone one reboa i don't think that's going in in the uk so that's where you put the balloon up in the chest big differences in the physiology which we have to understand a little bit better and also that the the training and the way that you have to develop people to do what is essentially quite a rare procedure is really challenging, even in a, a US trauma centre, which probably has a higher instance of cases requiring this than we do. It's a real challenge to get those skills out there. And, and Zaf talks very well about how you do that through simulation, through training and through certification. I think it's, it's a good read, particularly from the education point of view. And it actually fits in with something I was speaking to Cliff Reed about recently around airway techniques. So one of the things he started in his new ED is the idea of staying current. So having currency in a skill. So if you've not done it for a period of time, then you should actually you know, say, well, actually, I've not done, I know, I've not done an RSI in three months, not in my department, but say you've not done an RSI in three months. Well, maybe you should say, well, okay, I need to get my currency back. I'll do a simulation session and just get signed off on it again. It's a really interesting concept. And I think it's something that we should um, take forward. We then got a journal club post on hindsight bias, which is one of my favourite biases. This is the use of the retrospectoscope, which I'm sure we'll all be familiar with. Now, there's a paper that was picked up by Tim Coates, a friend of ours, friend of St. Emlyn's from Leicester, looking at whether, highlight, whether hindsight bias um, occurs in retrospective case note review. So it's a really clever little study. It's not particularly big. It's not particularly, you know, super duper statistically or anything like that. But basically what these guys did is took 93 clinicians to complete an anonymous survey in which the case they were given three case vignettes for the purpose of a fictional clinical governance meeting. So they were randomised then to whether or not the patient made a full recovery or whether they had a major complication, basically died after discharge. So, so for instance, you'd, you'd be given a case of a cardiac patient and they go, this is what happened and the patient died. What did you think of the care? Or this is what happened, exactly the same history, examination findings, etc., 
But the patient was fine. What did you think of the care? Well, you'd hope, because we're all objective, lovely people and we're not swayed by hindsight bias, that the decisions would be the same on all of them. Unsurprisingly, you're wrong. So what did they find? In two of the three scenarios, the participants rated the care as much worse when the patient died as opposed to when they lived. Interestingly, this difference did not change when consultants were compared with more junior doctors. And the only one I was interested really is the final case. The chest pain didn't really show that much level of variability, possibly because I guess chest pain is fairly protocolized these days. But it was interesting. The other cases were a case of a swollen leg and the other one was a headache. So sort of fairly high risk cases. What does it mean? It means that when we're looking at cases when things go wrong, we just need to be mindful of the fact that we probably will put a hindsight bias in, even if we're the person involved in it. I think we obviously judge ourselves quite badly when things go wrong. So interestingly, next time you're doing a a high level review or a serious untoward incident, just have a little think and wonder whether or not you're being as objective as you would like to be. Then we've got another general club post on fentanyl versus ketamine for analgesia in the paediatric emergency department. I'm quite a big fan of intranasal analgesia. We use it a lot in our department, um, but we actually use dimorphine rather than fentanyl or ketamine. But I think across the UK, I think most people are using fentanyl rather than dimorphine. I don't know how many people are using ketamine over here, but it's certainly been promulgated around the world about this idea that ketamine is wonderful for everything. It's not. It's a drug. It's got great benefits in certain circumstances, but it's not the be all and end all for everything. Ketamine isn't perfect. But what about in this particular situation? So it's a randomized control trial. Great. Wonderful. We like that in this sort of thing. 90 kids. Not very many, interestingly. And we'll come back to that. And they had kids with traumatic injuries and they gave them either intranasal ketamine at 1.5 milligrams per kilogram or intranasal fentanyl at 2 micrograms per kilogram. And then they looked for important outcomes. So analgesia, pain reduction, etc. So what do they find? Well, they're both pretty good in terms of relieving pain. And ketamine provides pretty effective analgesia. They don't think it's inferior to fentanyl. It's a non-inferiority trial. And I'm not going to get into that today, but they're quite complicated. The thing is, so the primary outcome was, is it inferior? No. In terms of analgesia they're pretty much the same or there's no significant difference or they fail to find a difference to be technically correct however the incidence of side effects is higher with the ketamine which i think reflects what we know about the use of ketamine so things like nausea and vomiting for me i can't really directly put this into my practice because i use dimorphine but there's a couple of other things here it's quite a small study in fact i think a few years ago we reviewed another study which was purported to be a pilot study which may have had exactly or pretty much the same numbers of patients so this isn't a study which really tells us whether there's a difference i think in practice for us if we had only these choices we'd go for fentanyl because of the lower incidence of complications but as stefan bruchens who works with us of course on the blog says ketamine internationally is a much more widely available drug. So what this does say that if you don't have access to fentanyl and dimorphine, then, and it's not on the global um, drugs list, then, oh sorry, the World Health Organization's essential drug list for children, then ketamine does seem to be a reasonable alternative. So yeah, knock yourself out with the ketamine, but just be aware that they might have a bit of a, a vomit afterwards. Then I think we're going to finish off with coda. So which, if you're into music, really makes a lot of sense as a line. So CODA is the end piece of November. CODA, of course, is the sequel, really, I suppose, the difficult second album to Smack. 
Now, you know Smack. We've done lots of stuff on Smack here. We're big fans of that group, and we're also very enthusiastic about Coda. So we've put together some idea about what it's all about, because I've had loads of people come up to me and say, what is this Coda thing? Is it all about climate change? Is it a climate change conference? Is it Smack? Is it what? Well, no, yes, maybe, sort of, is the answer. Essentially, the idea of Coda, as I see it, is that we are taking the community that that Smack built, which is an amazing group of people from very disparate backgrounds. You remember back in 2013, we didn't have conferences that brought so many different professions, so many different nationalities, so many different levels of of training together in one place with a common theme and purpose. We want to take that group and to continue to develop the ideas that we had through Smack. So we're still going to do the inspirational talks. We're still going to do the cutting edge clinical practice we're still going to do amazing workshops but on top of that we're going to try and energize the community into tackling bigger problems now there's a whole series of those planned for the next few years but number one is climate change and if you're seeing what's happening in the world right now australia is on fire literally and we need to think about the health implications of that i was recently in delhi where the air and the smog was so bad that you couldn't really go outside very easily the instance of lung cancer is rising There are significant health issues associated with climate change. So that is the idea. A proportion of the conference will be around climate change, about 25% of the main programme, but that doesn't really include the workshop. So if you're worried about going there and it's just going to be about that, it's not. It's going to be Smack Plus, Smack Better, Smack Different, whatever. It is a a new enterprise. It's a new setup. It's a new organisation. It's going to be amazing. It's in Melbourne, 28th of September to the beginning of October next year. The Smack team have morphed into the Coda team. It's not quite the same. We will be continuing to support it. We think it's a great thing to do. We hope you do too. And we hope you can make it out there. If you can't, we hope you can support it. There'll be lots of stuff done around the world because we (laughs) completely recognise that flying to the other side of the world is not exactly the greatest thing for climate change. So we need to think carefully about how we mitigate the impact of that. And I know that they're doing a huge amount of work in that area. So get in touch if you want to know more. And if not, we will see you in December. Have a wonderful Christmas or by the time you're listening to this, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and great new year. (laughs) 